0: This is our third lesson and devoted to the church. You'll See on the handout that the subject today is being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'll invite you to please bow in prayers We begin our our lesson. Lord our God, we thank you that you have called us out of the world and to yourself. We pray, oh God, that you would be teaching us today to, uh, to love your church, Uh, to love you, our Savior. We pray, oh God, you would bless our lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. Devoted to God's church, being a disciple, we've been uh, studying the nature of the church and found that the church is the gathering of people called out of the world to belong to the triune God and to each other. And one of those phrases that's jumped out at me that I keep coming back to is the one by Ferguson in his book devoted to the church, the phrase believing implies belonging. And so we are looking at what it means to belong to the church. Well, if believing implies belonging, there's something that goes both ways that to belong you must believe or more precisely, since we don't see the inner man or the genuineness of faith, uh, to belong, you must profess, and what we what we judge is a credible profession of faith. It means that entrance to the church is based on that, on the profession with the mouth that you believe in Jesus Christ and and credible in that a, a life that agrees with that. I don't intend to develop that aspect of of entrance into the church uh, as much. Uh, just note it here. Uh, that could be a, a whole series in and of itself what it means to believe and to uh, to have faith to trust in Christ but there is a beginning point there but that beginning point is sometimes reduced down just to a, a simple naming of Christ but what I want to do what I intend to do today is to develop what i hope is a more robust understanding of of believing that uh, that speaks of it in the way that we have come to think of of believing as as not just being a bare naming of Jesus Christ, but being a disciple of Christ, and that discipleship is not something that is a, a an add on to faith, as if you enter uh, enter into the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ and then. Then later you progress to some higher level by becoming a disciple. Now, what the Bible when the Bible speaks of being a disciple of Christ, it has in mind the entirety of our relationship with Him. So believing and belonging then imply being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what is a disciple? I'm going to date myself here by a an uh Uh, An analogy from sports that goes back a little ways. So if I if I said I want to be like Mike, (laughs) some of you know who that is. Who is the Mike that I want to be like? Oh yeah, yeah. There's only one Mike, right? In basketball, at least. There's a. I guess there's a Mike in boxing too, and. By Mike in every sport, but in basketball, and that phrase especially was associated with Michael Jordan. And I think there was a generation of boys that grew up saying, I wanna be like Mike. And uh, they, they idolized the, one of the greatest players, maybe arguably the greatest player in basketball history. And fans, young and old, would dream and would train and would practice moves so that they might be like Mike. Well, it's not just in basketball that it happens. It happens in really in in lots of different fields, uh, maybe even every field where you desire to be like someone who is excellent in their field. So I know that uh, some of you have children that aspire uh, in music, and so to encourage that, you might take your children to master classes where they could be around those that are excellent musicians and to learn from them. Or maybe you're a student right now, and so you want to be associated with someone who has demonstrated their understanding of your field of learning, and so you seek an internship with them, or you want to study under them so that you can be like that individual and grow grow to be more and more. I would suggest as well that there is a certain amount of being a disciple that happens right in the home where a child drinks in day after day what it means to be a man, a woman, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, Uh, professional, uh, whatever it is, they're observing, they are around you, they are, they're absorbing all of these things and becoming more and more like you in one sense, which is both sobering and frightening, (laughs) that they are picking up all of these different things from you because they are in a sense a disciple of you uh, being around you in that way. For a Christian, the desire is is to be like Christ and there is in fact a purpose and a call of God for that very thing the lord calls you in uh, to grow in maturity throughout all of your lives so that you become more and more like Christ and for this purpose god Unites us to Christ, and there's a union that we have with Him, but He also connects us with each other in the church. And there's an aspect of discipleship that takes place in both that uh, vertical and horizontal. So you might uh, think of our union with Christ as a vertical, but then remember what Paul says. He invites us to follow him as he follows Christ. And there's that horizontal aspect. Jesus gave this purpose to the church and the Great Commission. So I'll invite someone to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jeff, and someone look up Romans 8, 29. And Rachel, good. I'll actually ask for... Uh, Begin in verse 28 and then read through 30 on that Romans passage. Let's see here, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always. I hope these are very familiar words the great commission are is often read and it's often looked at as part of the charge not just to the first disciples but to the church that descends from them it is something of a a charge and a commissioning for the uh, for the new testament church we usually quote these in context of of evangelism of taking the gospel to the to the ends of the earth uh, and this is true but I'd like to highlight another important purpose that comes through this, and it's it's the purpose of discipleship. When Christ comes to his disciples in the authority that has been given to him, he gives them a job to do. He commissions them to go and to make disciples, not just to evangelize, uh, but here's that, what I hope you'll catch is, is that more robust, idea of conversion that has in mind uh, that, uh, that believing also involves belonging and involves being more and more like Christ. <coughs> this is a definition of discipleship that I found uh, very helpful. Discipleship is the process of helping people become more like Christ in their thoughts, feelings, and actions. This begins when a person is born again and continues throughout the rest of, of his or her life. It begins as they place their faith in Christ, when they're converted, and it continues all through the rest of life. It is part of God's purpose that comes through in other places too. So listen to Romans 8, especially verse 29, but I'm going to have Rachel read verses 28 through 30. In this passage, uh, Paul talks about uh, what's what's come to be called a, a, a golden chain of of our redemption. That that has in mind that God, from eternity past, uh, foreknew and elected to save some out of uh, out of their sin, and out of that foreknowledge and out of that election, He is called in this life, called individuals and granted his spirit so that we might believe. And those whom he has called he justifies and whom he justifies he glorifies. And nestled right in the midst of this, uh, this really glorious passage is something of a purpose statement that whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that being conformed to Christ, that being like Christ is is part of the uh, part of the definition of being a disciple. And I want you to see it in that context of the golden chain of redemption. That it is God's will that you be like Christ. And not only is it God's will, but He has by His own Sovereign power works to enact this, to bring you into unity with Christ, uh, and to bring you into conformity with Christ, which has in mind both our, our justification and our sanctification, or in this context, our our being more and more like Christ. With that in mind, I want to, to turn to Luke chapter 14. We're actually gonna spend uh, quite a bit of time in this, in this parable of Jesus Christ. And uh, let's, several parables come out in, in this passage, but it is a, uh, it's one that uses very startling language, as Jesus addresses his disciples and what it means to follow after him. I'm going to break it up under point number two here in your outline, A, B, and C, consecration, cross-bearing, and the cost. And I think you'll see how that works out uh, there in the outline. Let's start with Luke 14, verses 25 through 30. Can I have a volunteer to read that? Thanks, Henry. Henry. Now great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he laid the foundation and is not able to finish. All you see it begin to mock him, saying, "This man began to build and was not able to finish." I want you to concentrate there on verses 25 and 26. Uh, sorry, Henry, I had you read more that will come up again later. But um, would you read again verses 25 and 26, just so we're concentrating on that? Yeah, great. hate his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes and his own life also he cannot be my disciple unless you hate your family unless you hate your father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes his own life he cannot be my disciple need to understand this in the context of the rest of scripture. And when you remember that the fifth commandment calls us to honor your father and your mother, you, uh, you have to say that Jesus is doing something with this passage to get your attention. The word uh, hyperbole, it means the exaggeration for the sake of emphasis and what Jesus is doing here is surely a use of hyperbole given that broader teaching, but it, it is used to a very effective end, isn't it? It makes you stop and wonder just what is Jesus meaning here? What is he trying to get at? And it has to do with priorities. Very simply, God comes first. Uh, God comes first and other things find their place underneath that first priority of, of loving God, of following after Christ, of obeying his law. And, uh, and as the rest of scripture teaches us, there, there is then honoring of father and mother Love of husband and wife, care of children, uh, love and, uh, and devotion to country in, in a proper way. That those are all embraced. But God comes first. God comes first to the exclusion of everything else. God come, come, comes first not just by, by a nose at the finish line, but by, uh, by everything he, he comes first. Priorities must be that we, we love God and, and follow after him. And Ferguson, in his book, uh, asks the question, well, then why does Jesus use such startling language? And he, he, he muses that, that there are things that often get in the way of our relationship with God, our putting God first. There are some that are obviously right out. To do evil and to love what is, what is wicked is right out. Uh, that cannot be. But good things can also rise to the point of being first place in your life. And relationships, family relationships, can often do that. They are definitely one of those good things that God has given to us but they can then also be a source of temptation to set God aside and to place him second place or third place or, or also ran. Loyalty uh, is, uh, is a word that we often use with priorities and loyalty to Christ needs to come first. Just as a an example of this, I think back in our in the history of our own congregation, and think of a young a young couple that began coming to church. Uh, They were not Christians, but uh, the young man was was interested in in Christianity and began to study what it meant to to follow after Jesus Christ and and in God's. Goodness, he became a Christian and was baptized in our congregation. And uh, his girlfriend was lagging a little further behind. And it was, uh, it was interesting to see that as, as he uh, came to follow after Christ and, uh, and to understand the claims of Christ to be first in his life that that it felt a little bit as if there were some some distancing between uh, between he and his girlfriend. Uh, he graduated and moved on, and the young lady was still here. And uh, in my mind, I was thinking, well, that 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 may be the end. And yet she kept coming. She kept coming to church, and then she began to study what it meant to uh, to be converted and to follow after Christ. And as we got to know her and as we got to hear her testimony, she said, honestly, as I started to come to church, it was because I wanted to be around my boyfriend. And that was why I was coming to church. But then when he was converted and when, when he graduated and went on, I couldn't stop. Uh, I, I understood that what church was about, I understood that it was about Jesus and she also became a Christian and they're happily married with, with children now. And it's just a, a beautiful story of God working in their lives. But it also illustrates this aspect of where priorities are in life and how they can become confused in this life by good relationships and, and it has a happy ending as well with their both becoming Christians and uh, married and following after Christ still, so consecration is a word that, that Ferguson uses for this. Uh, you might also think of it about uh, as priorities or loyalty, having a, a settled orientation to loving God most. Vicky. yeah 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 it reminds me of uh, again a story of uh that, that I've heard of someone who left their wife and children to go onto the mission field. And someone took him by the shoulder and said, said no, that's, that's not a good application. And made sure that he was, was caring for his, his wife and children. Yeah. So uh, it is hyper hyperbole and, and uh, can be misunderstood or, or misapplied. Any other questions about that passage or about this this point of being a disciple, having priorities to love God first? Uh, let's go on to the next one then, and would someone read Luke fourteen, verse twenty-seven, uh, cross bearing, Mark. Well, here's another phrase that has uh, sometimes been misunderstood and misapplied: uh, cross-bearing. Uh, it's actually a phrase I think has been really trivialized these days. Uh, for example, oh my, my phone is a year old. I guess that's just the cross I've got to bear. Have you heard things like that? Sometimes there are hard things that are mentioned and, and, and it's used in a, in a proper way, but more often I, I hear it trivialized like that as something that is an inconvenience to the priorities of my life. They kind of weave together, don't they? <laughs> an inconvenience to the priority of my life or my comfort. But think about those who would have heard Jesus say this first. The bearing of a cross was something that they would have literally observed. A condemned criminal would be publicly humiliated by making him bear his cross, dragging it through the city to the place of the skull. It was uh, not only humiliating, but that was the instrument of their death that they were taking up. So when Jesus said this, the original audience would, uh, would have actual visual images in their mind as to, as to what this meant and once more jesus uses something that was purposed to shock and to get attention to the necessity of of belonging to christ uh, body and soul so uh, a disciple then is someone who is called to to come follow Christ to the point of of laying down everything, even even your own life, and to submit that life to God's purpose. That purpose may take us in in a variety of directions. It It may reorient what we had imagined for our lives. And yet, as as Christ calls, he enables us to do that, and we take up our cross and follow him. In this light, I'd like someone to read 2 Corinthians 5.15. Thanks, Greg. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him. What a, what a powerful understanding that is that Christ's death uh, frees us from the penalty of sin, but it's so much more than that. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. The word redemption even has that in mind too. Redemption can be defined as to Buy back. Sometimes I've used the illustration of going into Walmart with a coupon and redeeming that, that coupon. You are redeeming it and, in a sense, buying something to belong to you. And Christ has done just that. We belong to Christ. He has purchased us with his own blood and purchased us for a purpose that we may, might not no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Under this heading, the the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer is often cited in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Now, uh, there are aspects of Bonhoeffer's theology which are, are suspect, but I'll remind you that uh, that he lived during the uh, during the Nazi regime in World War two he was arrested, imprisoned, put on trial, and executed for uh, for a number of things that the Nazis described as as seditious and rebellious and in the midst of that he Uh, In the midst of his life, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. A little bit of a longer quote, but very appropriate here. Is there some part of your life which you are refusing to surrender at his behest? Some sinful passion, maybe, or some animosity, some hope, perhaps your ambition or your reason. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. The cross is not the terrible ending to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. That's what we often think of, isn't it? That it's some horrible thing that comes upon us. The cross is not the terrible ending But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Galatians 6.14 expresses this. Would someone read Galatians 6.14? Dan. Dan. Have that sense of priority, you have that sense of following Jesus Christ wherever he calls. And Paul uses that word crucified again uh, to, to vividly uh, demonstrate that we come to Christ and uh, everything else is, is crucified. The world is crucified to us. And I to the world because we follow after Jesus Christ. So a member of the church is a disciple of Christ called to take up your cross and follow him. That is part of what a disciple is. Jesus is not finished yet. He goes on with two little parables about the cost of discipleship. And I'll have, I'll ask someone to read um, verses twenty eight through thirty in Luke fourteen. Rachel. So before you start a project, you sit down and you look at, can I afford it? Uh, It's a very practical illustration uh, here that Jesus uses. You count the cost. In fact, it's foolish for you to start it without having done so because sure enough, you'll get to the, the middle of the project and run out of funds. And there it stands as a monument to everybody around you about your foolishness. And Jesus even calls attention to that. Uh, he, he says that the that all those who see it begin to mock him. They recognize just how foolish it it was. The principle here is that being a disciple means putting Jesus before and above everything, including ourselves, no no matter the cost. And to count that cost right from the very beginning, to understand that. That we give all to Christ, and that to uh, to, to start with uh, to start with good intentions and to falter is uh, is is a shame. When you're building a, a building, it's a it's more than a shame, though. It's a, we do a disservice to Christ, and I would say a disservice to the church. If we make what we do here out to be just a club that you can join as you like and then maybe later, uh, go somewhere, uh, go somewhere else, maybe, uh, join a gardening club, Uh, that, that's, that fits the need. We do a disservice to Christ and to the church if, if you treat it as something, as a place to see and be seen, to rub shoulders with, people who are influential. We do a disservice to Christ and to the church if we make it out to be just a do-good society. No, the the church is is, is all of us. It, It is a call to follow after Christ no matter what. And there is a cost to that. And we count that. In Ferguson's book, he talks about this cost in the context of of the things that we believe, Uh, in the context especially of the Apostles' Creed and the declaration of that robust faith that is summarized in in the Apostles' Creed. And here he has in mind... uh, that mocking of the world, the, the people who don't understand this and who don't count the cost and who don't r- really believe Christ and, and have him as, as their Lord. And he says this, it must seem doubtful to critics that we really believe it. That's the Apostles' Creed. We have domesticated the whole thing into a religion Mary's using religion in kind of a, a pejorative way, uh, something that everybody in the world has. We've domesticated it into a series of personal accomplishments or disciplines, an insipid moral code, something far removed from the sense the creed conveys of the greatness of God and his mighty inbreaking into history and then into our individual lives. Salvation is free, but it leads to a discipleship that will cost you everything you have. That analogy of counting the cost is one that is used here to help you understand that salvation means to be a disciple. And to be a disciple means to follow Christ with uh, everything that you have. Obviously, there, uh, there can be misapplications e- even of this. There are shady preachers who say you need to give everything to be a follower of Christ and it ends up in my pockets. <laughs> uh, so all of this needs to be well understood and, and, uh, and well thought through. But again, uh, these are Jesus' words and I'm just trying to interact with his so that you would understand the the cost of discipleship. You would understand the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. The second little parable, a second analogy, is about a king going to war. And if someone would read then verses 31 through 35 of Luke 14. Liz, Thanks. Whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his what savor? Wherewith shall it be? This analogy at first start seems to be just a repetition of the first analogy of of building a tower, having that idea of before you start, you better understand what you're up against, you better count the cost. And in that light, it would be folly to start a war going against an overwhelming greater force only to be annihilated by that. Instead, you sue for peace. But there's a there's a, there's another aspect to it that comes through, and in this case, it's not a question of I'll, I'll use Ferguson's words again here. It's not the question of can you afford? Uh, can, do you count the cost to follow after Jesus Christ? Uh, the question. This time is, can you afford not to pay the cost of discipleship because uh, uh, in this case, either you go to battle and you're annihilated or you sue for peace and you become a slave, which is, uh, which is also a degrading aspect. In the, in the end, either way, it, it costs you everything And so Jesus describes it as salt that loses its saltiness as being tasteless, useless, and literally foolish. It's not good for anything but to be thrown out. So these two analogies, Jesus brings up the subject of the cost. A member of the church then is one who is a disciple of Christ, one that is, whose priorities are aimed at serving him. And to be a disciple that is not serving Christ is foolishness, is tasteless, and is worth nothing just to be thrown out. I focused on the nature of what a disciple is. I'll just close by by calling your attention to the way in which this uh, shapes the church And uh, we'll introduce some of the subjects that will come later, how a church then nurtures disciples and how a a church nurtures that union with Christ, both vertically and horizontally. And here I have quoted from the Westminster Confession of Faith where it says, Unto this uh, Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world. And doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. I'll underline again right there in the middle that God has given ministry or oracles ordinances for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life. And uh, that's what I'm proposing to uh, to go into in the coming weeks of how the church is equipped by God to equip you. How God has given the church wonderful means of grace so that that you might grow in grace understanding more and more your union with Christ and how your priority to serve Christ can be worked out in this life. I'll ask for any uh, questions or comments. Let's close by bowing in prayer. Lord God, you use startling language here to get our attention. And we, we're glad that you do that. We, we need you to get our attention. We pray that by your spirit that you would lay these words up in our minds and our hearts so we might meditate on them in the days to come. We might understand your call to come and follow you to take up our cross every day. And I pray, oh God, that we would understand what that means and see that our priorities are to be shaped by our allegiance first and foremost to you. Help us as a church then to be oriented in this direction. And we pray that you would help us be an encouragement to one another to be growing in that grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.